Hi, I'm Sean Grieve. I'm the Business Development Manager for Mobile Automation at B&R in the US. And to me, automation is a better future. Hello and welcome to today's episode of This Is Automation. Uh, today we have a special guest in the studio, Sean Grieve. How's it going, Sean? Good, Corey. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so to kind of kick us off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your history with BNR? Yes, um, I've been with BNR about six and a half years. Um, my history is not um, primarily in the business of automation. Um, I come more from the uh, background of having um, worked for a number of different OEMs selling heavy equipment in construction, recycling, material handling, lift and access. So um, originally from Ireland, been in the US uh, over 20 years at this point, and um, very excited with the things that we're doing at BNR, particularly related to the world of, uh, of highway equipment and the automation opportunities therein. Good, so can you talk a little bit about your current role at BNR and, and kind of what that entails? Yeah, so as business development manager uh, associated with the, the mobile um, equipment applications, my role is to um, assist as much as possible our nationwide team of sales engineers in Firstly, some familiarity with uh, the OEMs that are um, located in their territories that might be interested in further advancing their machine control and automation efforts. And also then, uh, of course, um, trying to ensure that we put our best foot forward collectively as we um, are talking to those OEMs and considering all the possibilities that might be afforded by the overall B&R uh, ecosystem, if you will. Yeah, very good. So you've definitely helped me out in the past. Uh, <laughs> you're making a funny face, but you have. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what you did. You said mobile machinery <laughs> is, is your background. What kind of role did you have uh, there? Um, my role was primarily in sales. Okay. Um, so I think when I first came to the U.S., uh, I was selling crushing and screening equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, two quarries and sand and gravel pits and back in those days um, I didn't have Google to call on so I uh, <laughs> I did know how to work the yellow pages <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah we have that luxury today right you can just get on LinkedIn or Google and find a bunch of companies um, good so yeah we, we kind of uh, hinted at it strongly already but we're gonna be talking about mobile automation today um, Sean, can you just kind of give the audience an idea of what we mean when we say mobile automation? Maybe a lot of people are thinking of mobile phones or something, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. It's interesting you should say that because that has been um, something that has come up very recently, actually. Okay. Um, there is this um, immediate thought for many people that the world, the word mobile means the device that we all carry around in our pockets. Um, but for us at BNR, when we refer to mobile automation, we are essentially referring to any um, 
off-highway equipment applications that are associated with equipment that might be on wheels, it may be on tracks, it may actually be stationary or skid-mounted equipment. But what makes it very different from the industrial world is the environment in which that equipment operates. So oftentimes these pieces of equipment are exposed to the elements, they're not under roof, they are um, exposed to the extremes of temperature, shock and vibration, um, and need to be designed and, and set up with control systems associated with them similarly in order to handle the rigors and demands of that type of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of times when people are thinking about these big construction vehicles or agricultural vehicles, they're not really thinking automation or how controls can be used there. It's, uh, I think, interesting for some people to hear this, um, that there's actually a high level of automation and controls behind these uh, this equipment. Um, but I guess it hasn't always been that way. No, it certainly hasn't been that way. It's definitely come a long way. But um I certainly remember the, the, the days when uh, most of the equipment, um, of course, one of the, the, the base technologies that's been associated with mobile equipment for many years is hydraulic control. Um, but originally, many of those hydraulic systems were very, very straightforward, um, lever-actuated, uh, either open or closed valves. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you compare that to what's going on today, we have seen the embrace of electrohydraulic systems and the electronics technology associated with that in order to ensure that uh, operators are provided a means to um, somewhat more fine control. Um, not only for the operators, but we also have uh, now customers um, have developed solutions and systems for equipment which. Um, also embrace things like uh, serial kinematics, um, tapping into our experience from the robotics world on, on the industrial side in order to provide um, highly coordinated and synchronized uh, multiple axis hydraulic control. Mm-hmm. So things have moved a long way. Yeah. And, and like when you talk about like lever actuated pilot control, um, could you just explain that a little bit for people that maybe aren't familiar with that architecture. So, yeah, the the, the basic of uh, the basis of that is is really the fact that the hydraulic valves originally were either um, had no intelligence associated with them, mm-hmm. and the operator um, really had two options um, when he was operating a, a hydraulic system with the valves. Um, they were either fully opened or fully closed, and and any intermediary kind of position was was more by feel and experience than mm-hmm. any true science necessarily. So um, yeah, things are a lot different now. Right. So let's say, for example, uh, we, we have um, uh, like a like a garbage truck or something. Maybe that people are familiar with. Um, you may have a valve that, that controls the opening and closing of the back, right? So yeah, there's a lever on the side of the truck. You pull it down to, to close it and push it forward to, to open it by controlling that hydraulic valve. Is that kind of the idea? That's that's certainly a, an application that's very prevalent. Uh, and in fact, I recall being at a, a waste equipment trade show when I was selling grinding and shredding equipment many years ago and 
being beside a booth that happened to have a hydraulically actuated arm, which was uh, mounted on the side of a truck for lifting and dumping a residential trash container. Mm-hmm. You know, the plastic cart. Um, and every half hour or so at this show, the exhibitor would actually operate this hydraulic arm and the control associated with it was, to say the least, minimal. <laughs> it was full speed bang to a stop, mm-hmm. full speed bang to, to, to a stop at the other end. There was no um, ramping or fan control of the hydraulics in order to ensure smooth operation. It was an assembly that would not last for, I'm sure, a week yeah. in real life in mm-hmm. that condition. Yeah, there's a there's a really funny video that floated around, I think LinkedIn or something, for a while of uh, one of these trucks with the the arms on the side of it pulling up to a trash can, and it's yeah, it seems like really uh, rough control. So it's like knocking the trash can over, throws it over the truck, bangs it around. It's. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I've seen that one, but yeah. I must look it up. Uh, no, I'll I'm intrigued. Have to show it to you <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty funny. They could definitely use some some better automation and, and control on their, their for equipment. sure. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we're talking about the, the mobile automation industry, of course, so kind of how we got from um, these, these kind of old school hydraulic systems to where we are today with these EH electrohydraulic systems and, and more driven by controls is really just the need for uh, better precision, better uh, efficiency, better accuracy uh, in what you're doing. Um, and also the other thing is um, less skilled operators. Um, when you've got a complicated serial kinematics and you're using, you know, levers to control each uh, joint in that system, it, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Um, there's safety concerns there as well. So I think there's there's an aggregate of, um, you know, things that drove the market away from, from those older traditional systems towards um, automation. I don't know if you agree with that statement. No, I absolutely agree. I also think there was a little bit of a challenge in terms of, Overcoming at one point in time, overcoming um, uh, somewhat of a reluctance to, for some of the old school operators and owners, there was a reluctance at one point uh, regarding systems that included um, computer type control or electronic control and that mysterious stuff called <laughs> software. And so there was there was a, a school of thought that if it couldn't be fixed using a sledgehammer, then it was not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is, time has definitely moved on. We now have a generation of equipment operators and owners were, by and large, regardless of the, the their levels of education, there is not the fear and loathing of... Uh, computer technology, electronic control technology. There is not the fear and loathing associated with software that there once was. Um, we have the PlayStation generation, if you will, mm-hmm. now operating and owning these companies that are uh, running fleets of equipment. And so things have uh, definitely changed in that regard. Yeah, so maybe that's a good time to transition into more of the current state of the market and where... Um, you know, the OEMs are, are headed with their newest machines and with automation and networking. And I think the point you just made where, you know, we, we had a generation, kind of the, f- the first computer generation is now moving into these roles. And there's a new generation coming up that 
is even more software driven, right? So I think there's there's more changes coming now to as as these um, this younger generation moves into the workforce where. And we've talked about it before on, on the podcast, but user experience is, uh, you know, at its prime, you know, um, it's, it's harder and harder to train this generation uh, to, to operate complex equipment. So uh, there's, there's definitely things happening to make that easier, I think. For sure. I think that um, across the board, we are, in terms of industries, and when we're living in a time with relatively low unemployment, there is mm-hmm. not the availability of very experienced operators that there once was. It means that there is a, an onus of responsibility on the part of the equipment OEMs, but also on the part of the uh, control and automation solution providers like ourselves to ensure that the systems are set up um, in a manner whereby they are as easy as possible to interact with, to operate, to maintain, um, to understand the information that's being presented. Um, and so there's a lot that has um, become possible there. Modern technology enables a lot of that. And yeah, there's there's um, there's some really cool things happening to enhance the end user experience across the board in many industries and BNR, thankfully, are, are somewhat at the forefront of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that's maybe one aspect of what OEMs are driving towards right now is better UI, UX. So using something like BNR's MapView, for example, um, to kind of reshape the way the face of their machine is presented. Um, what are some of the other things that, that you're seeing in the market that are really important to the OEMs and then, of course, to their end customers as far as the next generation of mobile equipment? One of the, the kind of common themes is um, serviceability. So downtime and unplanned downtime is uh, uh, an anathema in, in the world of heavy equipment. And when you think about the dollars and cents cost associated with large pieces of equipment uh, unexpectedly being subject to failure and in a subsystem or component that makes the uh, equipment unusable there's often a knock-on effect in a quarry a mine a construction site even a farm that has um, a significant um, cost in terms of dollars so Things like um, predictive maintenance or intelligent maintenance, condition monitoring, those are things that are becoming more uh, relevant in discussions with OEMs and also with end users. I think that there will come a time where those systems are more the standard as opposed to the exception. We're not there quite yet, but I honestly do think that'll, that'll happen over time. So... The user interface and the user experience is certainly a part of that overall um, uptime discussion. When you think about uh, perhaps a new operator using a piece of equipment for, you know, in his first week of operation, and um, there's a part, the regular maintenance part, maybe a filter um, needs replacement, you know, we can now um, have the systems and control systems set up such that. That machine will automatically generate an alarm. It will automatically be able to 
um, generate a message, either email or um, a text message, it will be able to present on the on the HMI will be able to present the operator with relevant documentation or even a video in order to um, help him most efficiently make the change of the part in order to get back up and running again. So these are all things that are possible. They're all things that customers of BNR are providing already by uh, taking advantage of, of our platform. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about condition monitoring. Can you just explain uh, kind of what that looks like fundamentally as, as far as what are the different pieces of that, that puzzle? So for, for BNR specifically, the condition monitoring um, that we offer is something that we do in the industrial world. Industrial PLC world, track mount, uh, PLC and IO, and one of the um, optional slices that we offer in that is a condition monitoring board which affords the ability to um, use changes in vibration in combination with some pre-known parameters and settings associated with a particular assembly. Maybe it's a shaft and bearing assembly. Um, In order to provide um, some FFT analysis directly on the board um, and give some somewhat more precise information to the operator regarding the type of issue associated perhaps with that bearing. So this is something that we also offer as an option in the X90 mobile controller from BNR. And we feel like there's going to be a massive benefit from that. And just to, to explain the acronym that you used, FFT, that's a fast Fourier transform, basically just a way to take that accelerometer data from that bearing or that shaft um, and convert that into the frequency domain so that you can see uh, if you've got some anomalous uh, vibrations or something in the shaft that may be an indication of uh, some sort of failure in the bearing. Well said, Corey. You okay. say that way better than I could. <laughs> no doubt about that. But one of the other things that's kind of uh, important to, to not lose sight of regarding mm-hmm. the BNR offering of that is it would not be common to see this as an integral part of your controller solution right. in the mobile right. world. And so to have that integrated in, into that um, into that hardware and, and software ecosystem from, from BNR mm-hmm. is, is, is kind of significant. Yeah. I think even in the industrial world, it's not common to see it you know, as a part of the, the package right. where we drop it in as a slice on the end of the, your I.O. rack, you may be looking at, you know, an independent box with its own software in the industrial world as well. I think the mobile world is similar. Right. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned condition monitoring and, and kind of how that ties into predictive maintenance. Um, could you just kind of explain predictive maintenance a little bit more? Yeah. So the condition monitoring thing is, is certainly one aspect of that. The... Um, in real life, I guess, if you are operating heavy equipment and, and you're able to predict when you need maintenance more accurately, then it enables you to be much more efficient in terms of your operation. There's a multitude of ways in, in terms of how you approach maintenance. You can be um, 100% reactionary, mm-hmm. in which case your equipment all of a sudden lets you down. And regardless of where it is, you have to react and um, investigate what's gone wrong, find out why it's why it's failed, um, identify the the components that have failed, 
um, figure out where replacement components can be gotten in order to get them shipped to the machine and get them replaced um, and back up and running again. Mm-hmm. Not very efficient, for sure. There are methods of maintenance associated with a kind of a fixed timeline for some of those key important um, assemblies um, where uh, operators may feel like they are doing their utmost in order to ensure that they're not suffering uh, surprise downtime. Mm -hmm. Would you call that preventative? Somewhat preventative, but maybe not the most efficient in the Mm -hmm. sense that if you are, for example, replacing a bearing assembly every um, 1,000 hours for a particular um, assembly on, on part of a, um, an equipment design, and you do that without fail, perhaps you're never going to encounter that surprise failure, and kudos to you for that, right? Mm-hmm. But if you had the means to be somewhat more intelligent about that and have the insight using technology like our own, in order to say, look, this thing is not close to failing just yet based on the data that we're seeing from it. There is a good 500 more hours to be had from this. And when it starts to go beyond the parameters of normal operation, the data will alert us and we'll be able to schedule the repair before it fails. It means you're getting the full working life out of that subassembly or, or system. Mm-hmm. So that's much more intelligent. Yeah, definitely. So you've got reactive as like the worst, yes, <laughs> worst case approach. Right. Preventative is better than reactive, but there's a lot of waste. You're not getting the full life out of your equipment. Right. You're maybe taking it down more often than need be. So you're not. It's not only Correct. the cost of all the bearings, which can be expensive for these large yep. mobile, uh, large mobile equipment, and then um, you know the the time for it being down when it doesn't need to be down. When you have predictive maintenance, you're taking you know intelligent data uh, from the actual equipment and only taking it uh, to where it's sufficiently um, used up the life of, of that component and then scheduling the change. And, and there's really cool things that you can do once you have that data as well. Um, you know, a, a value you can bring to your customers where, um, you know, you can reach out to them uh, so you can get an alert to the OEM even um, to, to, to kind of provide an extra service or extra value to, to the, the end user. For sure. There's there's new business models being embraced all the time using yep. this type of technology. Service as a service. Mm-hmm. 24-7 remote monitoring yep. um, for large expensive equipment associated with operations in mining, for example. Um, there are, you know, we kind of talked about the benefits for the end user. There's also benefits directly to be had for the OEM, not only in terms of that new business model, perhaps, mm-hmm. but also in terms of how efficiently they design and build their equipment. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for just building it big and heavy and stronger than the competitors, right? Mm-hmm. That there, there's something to that. But if you are um, over-designing and building the equipment beyond um, uh, reason, where it, it's really overkill, then you can take advantage of the data associated with these modern control systems in order to be somewhat more um, accurate in terms of your design uh, and the expected life of, of the equipment. Um, it can save weight. It can save material costs. It can, um, it can help in, uh, in a number of ways. All of those things are kind of predicated on having some sort of Ethernet 
based system as far as getting that data out. Um, would you agree with that? I think that's um, certainly um, uh, one important aspect of where mobile controls technology and mobile automation is going. Um, when we think about uh, Ethernet or we think about connectivity, there's 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 a variety of ways to think about that. Sure. I I think about um, Ethernet uh, in terms of the machine control networks as potentially very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of connectivity and web connectivity as as very beneficial too, um, but there's multiple ways to think about that. If we think just about the controls architecture on the machine and the networks associated with that control, for the last 20 or more years, CAN has been the most uh, common uh, network protocol of choice on most of the off-highway equipment machine designs, and for very good reason. It has been extremely robust. It offers a a real-time performance that is... um, is is something that uh, lots of OEMs and, and end users alike have benefited from. We are, however, at a point where for some of the more um, larger and more complex machine designs, particularly with the embrace of more technology with every passing day, we have massive amounts of data moving around on these control networks on these machines, and there are limitations to where CAN can go. Um, even with CAN-FD, which is a, certainly a very positive step, there is, we believe, some merit in the industries as a whole associated with off-highway equipment, um, exploring the possibilities of a real-time deterministic Ethernet in order to handle much more in the way of the data. So essentially, um, much more broadband, um, or band, excuse me, much more bandwidth um, because right now, in some situations, there's there's a, a little bit of a plumbing problem. <laughs> um, we have machines out there with six, seven, eight, nine CAN networks on them. Mm-hmm. And while some of that separation perhaps is by design and makes a lot of sense, some of it is also forced because of the bandwidth limitations associated with CAN. When it comes to the... The Ethernet and connectivity, what I kind of think about there is a couple of things. There are um, lots of telemetry solutions out there. OEMs have um, designed their own, worked with partners in cellular and satellite and GPS technology. And so there's lots of providers of that type of connectivity and, and tracking ability. The goalposts are constantly moving when it comes to the cellular communication standards. And there are certifications associated with the global requirements that make this, um, for, for many OEMs, um, quite the challenge. I think that for BNR right now, we have um, set up our hardware much like we do with the industrial world. We've set our, our hardware up on the control, on the mobile end of things with web server functionality standard, VNC server functionality standard in that X90 controller. Uh, It means that we're um, able to take advantage of things like um, web-based visualization and uh, tap into the HMIs that we're all carrying around in our pockets. 
but um, it's fair to say that we'll also have customers taking advantage of third-party technology where the third party's core competence is this telemetry piece, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I think another important piece of kind of a mobile automation solution in the modern market is some integration with a model-based tool like MATLAB Simulink or MapleSim. Can you talk about how uh, these uh, mobile machinery OEMs are using that? The fact of the matter is that there are more and more young engineers coming out of school, joining these OEMs that are working with and have experience working with MATLAB, Simulink and MapleSim. Those are two examples with which BNR has a very um, appealing interface in order to help automatically generate code. Now, when you think about that term, automatically generate code, that's automation. Mm -hmm. It's another example of automation. And when you think about model and simulation-based design, it is another element of, um, for the designer, enhancing their user experience to a large degree. It becomes much more efficient. It becomes much more intuitive. Um, It makes very complex uh, control uh, challenges much more attainable. Uh, for many of the customers that we have. And we fully expect to see more and more of them embrace that technology. We we already have uh, customers that, that are kind of interested in seeing our interface with both of those platforms before they make a decision regarding which of them they might go ahead to, to uh, contract with, if you will. So it's already helped customers with... Um, especially complex control requirements, multi-axis, highly synchronized, uh, coordinated control, um, hydraulic applications. Um, So we expect that there'll be more of that to come. Yeah, I think it's it's really exciting, especially when you look at a platform like BNR with, you know, a strong connector to Simulink or MapleSim or whatever tool it may be, where you can take some of these really complex algorithms and, and put them into a dedicated tool like Simulink and, and manage that kind of independently, generate that code automatically into structured text or C or uh, whatever it may be, drop that into Automation Studio and you know the, the vast majority of your work is pretty much done. And then you know you can use uh, something like map technology to kind of build out the, the auxiliary functionality uh, with map view and map user and alarm. Um, so it's becoming easier and easier to program, I think. It's a big deal. I think the the software side of things is a really big deal. I think even I, if given the, the, the right resources and assistance, might be able to put together really robust, bulletproof hardware that's high-performing and has the interfaces and all that good stuff. Um, and that would be the case for lots of our um, OEMs and, and also our competitors out there in the marketplace. What will be much different going forward, um, we feel like more of the differentiation is going to come on the side of software and the tools associated with it. So that makes us think about the BNR solution as not just hardware. It's not just about hardware, even for the mobile world. Yeah, there are some very cool things that are perhaps different about the hardware that make it uh, more interesting and appealing for many applications. 
but it's the overall integrated solution, including the development environment, the tools associated with that, the comprehensive diagnostics out of the box, the automation runtime, uh, in terms of real-time operating system. There's a lot to um, to take advantage of from that overall BNR um, ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's all the things that we were we've been talking about, right? So, the diagnostics and service, the um, you know reducing development time, MATLAB Simulink, condition monitoring, the serial kinematics, the high bandwidth protocols. This is all stuff that we have a ton of experience with from the industrial side of things, and then uh, you know we've, we've kind of migrated that into the mobile automation world as well. Yep, for sure. Really, what we're seeing is a shift from hardware focus on the electronic side to more of a software focus, and that's where most of the differentiation is going to start coming from um, with you know the things like automatic code generation, diagnostics out of the box, web server functionality out of the box, and, and then it really comes down to how uh, the OEMs are implementing this technology to really create a, a differential in the market, I think. Um, and so that's kind of the current state of automation in mobile machinery. I would say, is there uh, anything that we should talk about as far as where you see the market heading in the future, things that are kind of on the horizon for, for these OEMs? I think there's already plenty going on uh, on the part of uh, certainly the large OEMs um, regarding um, things like electrification, semi-autonomous operation, autonomous operation. and. When you think about what's going on in the, the world of precision farming, there's lots of that going on already on a daily basis in farms uh, all across the US. Um, there are going to be some challenges associated with both of those areas because I think they're both kind of important. Um, we, When we think about the semi-autonomous and autonomous operation, I immediately think about the... Um, challenge associated with creating a, a very controlled environment. Mm-hmm. And a very controlled environment um, on a farm, on a job site, construction site, in a mine, those are all uh, environments that present some different challenges in terms of that control. But um, the more controlled it is, the more likely we are able then to take advantage of full autonomy. And it might be quite some years off still, Corey, but but there nearly needs to be autonomy across the board mm-hmm. with connectivity between all of these machines. Um, so machine-to-machine connectivity is going to become more important. Machine-to-cloud connectivity is going to become more important as efficiency goals and productivity goals continue to increase and um, those increases become more possible. So we will see the OEMs, as they are already doing, some of the larger ones, taking advantage of um, what's to be gleaned from all of the data associated with these machines and how they're operated. Um, so those are some of the things that are, that are going on. Electrification, I think, uh, tends to receive a boost when fuel prices go mm-hmm. four or five dollars here in the yeah. US and it's been quite some time since we've seen that. Um, I expect that there will be um, some reluctance on the part of um, some of the market to embrace that very quickly, which is understandable. I think there's still improvements 
that uh, are to come in terms of battery technology and the infrastructure associated with that type of um, um, electrified machine, if you will. But there's also other benefits in terms of cleanliness, um, noise. Um, so there's some, some eco and, and environmental benefits to be had from that long term as well. Um, yeah, there's going to be challenges to overcome, but um, I think we'll get there. just might be a while. What do you think about uh, safety and how that, that plays a role in the future? It's Well, it, it's kind of the uh, single biggest challenge, I think, with the whole semi and fully autonomous uh, topic. And it is something that we are seeing more of in the industrial world and we expect that we'll see more of in the mobile world. Certainly... Uh, OEMs in uh, off-highway equipment applications have been keen to ensure safe uh, environments for their operators, increasingly safe environments for their operators for many years. Guarding and e-stops are are commonplace, um, interlocks are commonplace, but uh, there's perhaps more that might come down the line in in the way of what happens in regulations and stuff like that. And... um, Part of the challenge for OEMs here in the U.S. might be seeing some of those um, initiatives driven, perhaps from Europe initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but when many of these OEMs are global, um, there's merit in ensuring that what is uh, good for Europe is also what is sold as good for North America as well. Yep. Um, so... If, if we kind of just wrap up, maybe talking very specifically about the BNR platform, we've kind of been dancing around it this whole time. Okay. Um, could you just maybe talk about what what does the BNR mobile automation platform look like? The uh, primary um, piece of hardware that BNR released a couple of years ago for the mobile applications is what we, we call the X90 controller. That X90 controller um, offers a couple of different varieties in terms of processing capability. Um, It also offers a degree of scalability um, such that you can populate it with um, as little as 24 multifunction I.O. And at the other end of the scale, you can populate it with up to kind of 80 multifunction I.O. um, within that same footprint, if you will. in addition to that, we've recently released a uh, I.O. module that is in a similar ruggedized form factor, although um, uh, somewhere somewhat smaller footprint, um, providing the ability to, to add uh, another 32 multifunction I.O., either distributed or just because you need the additional count. Um, that's uh, the most recent thing. Coming down the line, um, we have... A safety rated X90 on its way with SIL2 out of the box. Um, it will also have the ability to go up to SIL3 for the I.O. they're in. Um, even though we don't expect that that's going to be the requirement for the majority of the applications initially, we know that there's uh, a large degree of interest in that um, safety rated control technology from BNR. And we also have mobile rated uh, HMI displays, uh, 7 Five and ten inch are going to be the the three sizes. Um, it's like I, an Irish thing to start in the middle and go <laughs> go low then go high. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my, my mouth, I knew you were going to pick up on it. Um, 
Anyway, I think the the reason I said it in that order was because the seven inch is going to be the first one. But that's taken advantage of what we've done in in the industrial world in terms of uh, touch technology and um, with the ability to also um, use things like map view for web-based visualization in conjunction with that X90 controller. Uh, Any closing thoughts on mobile automation in general or... I'm a little biased, but I think the applications are way more interesting than than um, anything else we, we get involved in, and, and I'm sure that's not truly the case. There's a lot within BNR that's very exciting in terms of uh, things like track technology, uh, vision technology. We are constantly pushing the envelope, um, but I'm excited with us also continuing to push the envelope um, for advancement in the off-highway equipment applications as well and um, a lot of our customers are, are already seeing the benefit of our, our platform and um, we look forward to more of them doing it in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks, Sean, for taking the time to uh, talk to me and joining in on the conversation. Thank you very much, Corey. In future episodes, we're going to dive into some uh, other exciting topics and common questions and automations. Uh, we've got episodes lined up on machine vision, IoT, robotics, uh, a couple special episodes lined up with special guests. Uh, so make sure you keep an eye out for those by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by leaving a review or a comment. And if you want to get in touch with me, you have an idea for the show or a question you want us to talk about, then you can pass that along to me on LinkedIn or by email at automationpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, if you want to learn more about BNR's mobile automation platform or mobile automation in general, you can check out the BNR website at br-automation.com. And of course, the BNR YouTube channel is a great resource. There's some great customer videos on there for mobile automation that you should definitely check out. And you can find that by searching BNR Automation in YouTube. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on This Is Automation.